in nature, something that everybody have in, has in common. Not everybody loves their phone. Not everybody loves sports or romance novels. But you know, everybody loves and has this connection to nature. Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Dr. Aaron Ahuvia. Aaron Ahuvia, PhD, is a professor of marketing and research psychologist at the University of Michigan, Dearborn. He's been ranked in the top 2% of all scientists in the world by Stanford University. Dr. Ahuvia is the world's leading expert on brand love, how love works when we love a brand, product, or anything else that isn't a person. In his new book, The Things We Love, How Our Passions Connect Us and Make Us Who We Are, he takes a deep dive into our mysterious, tangled relationships with love objects and activities. He's also a leading expert on the psychology of happiness, focusing on how money, shopping, and spending influence our well-being. His work has been featured in Time, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Apple News, and Glamour, and he's been a guest on The Oprah Winfrey Show. Can you be betrayed by a product, by a company? You definitely can. And my next guest, Dr. Aaron Ahuvia, will explain exactly how that happens. What do we experience and why are we really choosing the products we're choosing? You're going to be surprised at the answer. Tune in for this great conversation. And my hope is that it leads to a greater awareness around the products and companies you're supporting. Here we go. Okay, everybody, this is going to be such an interesting conversation. I am speaking with Dr. Aaron Ahuvia, and uh, we're talking about love and betrayal in our lives as consumers. And you know, we cover all different types of betrayal from a family member, from a partner, from a friend, a coworker, self. This time, we're talking about it uh, as a consumer. So welcome, Dr. Aaron. Thank you. Um, it's really a, a lot of fun to be here. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. You know, I remember when I was doing my study on betrayal and I was writing my dissertation. So of course I had to do a tremendous amount of research. And I remember reading a study. It may have even been yours. You tell me. And it was on uh, the love, love turns to hate principle or something like that, where we actually uh, would rather knowingly purchase a product that is bad for us than buy something that we think is good for us and then find out that we're duped. We've been duped. Oh, was, that your, was that your... No, it was not my study. It, and I, I, I haven't actually read that particular one, but it makes total sense to me because when you buy a bad product, if you sort of go into it knowing it's a bad product or might be a bad product, uh, then the only real harm is that you've got this bad product. But if you really trust a brand and it turns out that it's a bad product or they don't service it properly, then you are, yeah, you've got a bad product, the same problem you had before, but you also have exactly the sense of betrayal, which is another negative and often far worse than just the bad product itself. So it's like a double betrayal. There you yeah, go. It's a, it's, a, it's a double. It's a double negative. You get the 
And not the kind of double negative that equals a positive. Yeah. The kind of double negative is even worse. Right, right. Yeah, it makes total sense. So, you know, and we've always heard we can only be betrayed by people. But but I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Can we be betrayed by products, by companies? Tell us about that. It, I, it is true that you can only be betrayed by people. But there's a couple of really psychologically interesting caveats on that. First of all, companies are people, not in the sense, uh, I know that legally in America, they're considered uh, people in some sense. I'm not saying that. Um, but psychologically, you know, in that company, there's a bunch of human beings that are doing things and making policies. And you can be betrayed by those people that represent the company. Uh, the other part, is that we often psychologically see products and brands in anthropomorphic ways. That just means behind the big language uh, that you your brain treats them as if they're people. Your brain, this is really, I think people don't know this. I find it personally fascinating. Every time your brain sees anything, it instantly categorizes it as either a person or everything else in the universe is not a person. And then if it's a person, it uses special thought processes and sometimes even special areas of the brain. So if you see a machine uh, sweeping the sidewalk, your brain will think about that in certain physical places in the brain. And if you see a person sweeping the sidewalk, your brain will actually think about that in different regions of the brain. So there's a very big distinction in the brain between people and everything else. Betrayal is something that only people really do. Inanimate objects don't betray us. But fairly often, your brain misclassifies an object or a brand as a person and thinks about it using the mechanisms it would normally reserve for people. And when that happens, uh, you can absolutely feel betrayed by the brand or by the company or by the object. So that's really interesting. So what you're saying is, if I'm understanding, uh, uh, let's say a machine uh, who th that's doing something registers in a different part of our brain than a person. Yes. But I guess the part I'm struggling with is if people are part of that company, are we looking at the company as sort of a thing or as a group of people? Yeah, and it, it, that's up to the person who's looking at the company, right? So just different people see it in different ways. Uh, but a, a lot of times, you know, if you have a connection to a company, if you call up and there's an actual person who answers the phone and you have a bad interaction with that person, you're you're thinking about it as that person who was on the other end of the phone right? Uh, talking to you. So, okay. So now tell us about how we can... Uh, feel a connection to, let's say, a product or a company and a connection to a person. Right. When you, when you start out looking at this topic, as I did, and I did uh, many, many very long interviews with people, I'd go into their homes, I'd sit with them for two to four hours talking about their favorite objects and their favorite activities. And people love to talk about this stuff. So they were happy to, to talk about this as a first, as long as I was willing to listen in, in most cases. 
there's an insight that originally comes from another researcher named Russ Belk. And, and that is that in the beginning of these interviews, it always sounds like the relationship is primarily between themselves and some object. So if they love their cell phone, the, it's a relationship between them and the cell phone. Very soon though, as you start digging deeper, you always find out that really it's themselves, the cell phone, and then the other people that the cell phone connects them to. So the people they text with on the cell phone, the people on their social media that they connect with, and the object is sort of a connecting object, I call it a people connector, that links them to these other people. That's really clear and easy with a cell phone, but it happens with a lot of other things too. So a gift from another person, yeah, you like the gift itself, the object, but it's also psychologically a uh, part of the person who gave it to you it connects very strongly to the person who gave you that gift. Uh, a photograph of you, like a selfie with you and another person, it's connecting you to that other person. Music is connecting you to all the other people who like that music or people that you've experienced that music with. Food is connecting you to all the people you eat the food with or the people who you have memories of having that food with. So all of these objects have tremendous ability to connect us to other people. And very often it's those connections with other people that really make the object special and meaningful. That's so interesting. And, and it's so easy to see. It's true. It's not that actual, let's say, turkey on the table. It's the Thanksgiving dinner that goes along with it, with all the people that you love. Okay. Absolutely. That makes total sense. What were some of the objects that people were talking to you about? Phone, I imagine, is a really common one. Pictures, I can see. Yeah. Phones, pictures. Uh, the number one thing that gets mentioned the most is nature. And I think this is because nature is really affects people in strong ways. There's a tremendous amount of research now about how your mood can just get picked up by spending a little time in nature or even having a, a little potted plant in your cubicle can actually improve your mood. So in nature, something that everybody have in, has in common, not everybody loves their phone, not everybody loves sports or romance novels, but you know everybody loves and has this connection to nature. So that's one that shows up a lot. And then pets and animals, uh, they're not, they're kind of this halfway point. They're not exactly people, but they're certainly not objects either. They're kind of in this middle zone and, and, and people love those a lot. After that, oh, after those two, you start to get to things that sometimes they are important to people because they represent their own sense of identity. So they're an object that symbolizes a group identity. So I, you know, I teach at the University of Michigan. Maybe it would be a University of Michigan t-shirt that has some particular memorable quality to me and, and represents that kind of identity. Maybe it's an item of clothing that has some ethnic uh, aspect to it and represents your connection to an ethnic group or to your family history uh, in some way. A lot of times they'll be, be products that people have spent a lot of time with over the past. So uh, it's interesting. I've talked to some car collectors and often the car in their collection that they truly, really love the most isn't the fanciest car. It's not the most expensive car. It's the first car 
that they bought specifically as a collector because oh. that's the car that made them a car collector. That's a part of their identity. And so it has that special meaning for them. So, so the identity is really powerful. And then the other things we talked about a moment ago, things that connect them uh, to other people are, are really powerful. Yeah, and I can see that, you know, it's so funny when you were describing that I have four kids and one son came to mind and he was in a fraternity. And if I tell you his entire wardrobe was stuff, you know, just paraphernalia, shirts and hats and everything with that symbol. And and I guess that's and he would walk around and, and run into people in the same fraternity in a different school. And it was that connection. And out of all the shirts he could have worn, it was like those were the go-to ones, I guess, for, for the, the identity and, and what it made him feel a part of. Absolutely. And, and the identity, so we've got one group of things that are, are things that reflect our identity in some way or, or show, display our identity. We think of them as part of ourselves in some way. Uh, the other are things that connect us to other people. And it might at first sound like those are two different categories they overlap a lot. There was a fascinating study done some years ago where they asked people to bring in photographs of them of things that were part of themselves, mm-hmm. things that were themselves. More people brought in photographs of other people than there were people who brought in photographs of themselves. So we think about other people as being a part of ourselves. And that is central to love. The psychology of love, whether you're loving a person or an object, one of the core things that's happening in your brain when you fall in love is that you've got the sense of a boundary around yourself. Like things inside this boundary are me and on the other side of the boundary are the rest of the universe, they're not me. Mm -hmm. And when you fall in love with a person or an object, that boundary kind of opens up and it expands to include that other person or object and closes up around them. So they become part of who you are, which is why you have this strong intuitive desire to help them just like you would help yourself. If they get insulted, you feel insulted, right? If if somebody does something wrong to them, you feel angry at that person just as if they'd done that thing badly to you, right? Wrong, behave badly towards you. So the other person becomes part of your identity or the thing that you love becomes part of your identity. And and therefore, if you love a person and this object connects you to that other person, it operates both as a people connector, it's connecting you to this person and it becomes part of your identity because they are part of your identity and it's also part of your identity. So it gets sort of the double uh, bonus points there and, and, and creates a very strong uh, relationship and, and that makes that makes so much sense I mean you know I think about it if someone were to ask me about me one of the first things I say is my family and it it's truly an ex- I feel an extension of me and I'm it, it, and exactly what you said I mean I just feel like that's that that boundary is extended to pass them and that's part of why betrayal is so painful mm-hmm. because Usually the premise is, I mean, you can be betrayed without this. You can be betrayed by, you know, a business relationship, but usually the premise is some kind of a love relationship. And if the person loves you, 
you expect them to intuitively care about you and your feelings the same way they would care about themselves and their own feelings. And if they betray you, then you feel like the whole thing has been a lie, that they didn't, they weren't thinking of you, you know, really in this, in this way as, as sort of part of themselves that they needed to take care of uh, in that way. And everybody listening to this podcast or watching it knows exactly what you're talking about. Let's yes. talk about this. Can people betray a, a brand or a company that they love? Some people think you can. This is, uh, you know, there's, there's different opinions about this. So my own view is that for the most part, you don't owe companies, Jack. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't think... You know, I don't think you owe them. You owe other people things. If you're in a friendship, you owe your friends things. You owe your family things. Um, And even just a stranger on the street, you owe them things. But I think to a company, uh, you owe them sort of a minimal, sort of a level of civility. And you certainly owe them honesty. You don't, you're not allowed to to be dishonest. But you can't, you know, if, if you've been buying one brand and a different brand comes along and you like it better, buy the other brand. I don't have any problem with that. However, there are some people who, as they fall in love with the brand or fall in love with the company or product, in their own mind, feel the sense of loyalty and feel a sense of betrayal if they go and do something else, you know, buy a different product. And sometimes there's two different versions of that that I've come across. One is sort of the hardcore version, and that is, if I'm an Apple person, I simply would be betraying Apple if I bought any other brand, end of story, that's it. More commonly, and I think more perhaps uh, reasonably, there are people who feel, look, I'm loyal to Samsung mm-hmm. um, and I'm gonna be, what, but what that means is I'll shop Samsung first. I'll see if they've got something that will solve my problems and work for me and is equally good, they win all ties. My loyalty means to them that they win all ties. But if they don't really have the right thing for me, I've been loyal just by looking. That's what my loyalty buys them. That's I don't fair. Mean, it doesn't mean buying, it just means looking. Right, I, I think that's very fair. You know, it's funny, as you were sharing that, a different story came to mind and we've had, six dogs at a time. We have four now. And there was a mom and pop shop really close by. And you can imagine how much dog food we'd go through. So I would buy it by the 40 pound bed. Now it was, it was, it was a hassle. I'd go there. I have to carry this big bed, but it was this mom and pop shop. And I said to myself, as long as they're open, that's where I'm going to get my dog food. Well, turns out in COVID they had to close down. And that was the first time I started getting it from Amazon and just getting it shipped. But I felt that loyalty. I was like, you know what? They're open, they're serving me. They're even helping me get it to the car sometimes. So I'm gonna stay loyal to that business. And mm-hmm. then I felt like, okay, they're out of business and I don't have to. Yeah, yeah. Totally understand what that's about. Um, so, okay, what about brands and products uh, that cheat on the people that love them? This is, a, a, this is a real problem. And I'm a, I'll tell you, I'm slightly ambivalent about 
the work I do in marketing. So uh, I'm very much associated with the concept of brand love. And brand love is the idea that consumers fall in love with products, uh, services, or, or brands. And a lot of the work I do is helping companies create this, you know, get customers to love their brands or products. Most of the time, I feel quite good about this because the first thing you have to do as a company, if you want to get people to love your brand, is you have to actually produce a really high quality product. So that's great. If I can encourage companies to do that, I'm happy with that. You also need to treat your customers really well. If I can encourage custom companies to do that, that's great too. Where I start to get the heebie-jeebies a little bit is that customers, when they fall in love with a brand, as we were just discussing, sometimes show more loyalty to the company than the company would really show to them. So there is a challenge on the part of a company. The, the kind of love that we feel towards products emerges out of the kind of love we feel towards friends. And humans are very rare among animal species in having friends. Most other animals, they may have a kind of a bonding with the family, but they don't really create those bonds with other animals of their species that aren't part of their family. The reason that humans evolved this ability is because a friendship is a two-way street that helps both people. I help you, you help me. And it goes back and forth in both ways. If you have a company that's kind of playing Don Juan. So I, you know, Don Juan is often played as a comic character, uh, but they're really, that character was a very despicable person. Uh, I the fictional character, but you know, well, it was a very despicable person because when he would seduce these women uh, and then leave them, at that time, that their life was really damaged by that. It's not like now where, okay, that was a bad relationship. But at that time, that was hugely negative for them in their lives. And I worry about companies maybe being a little bit of this Don Juan character that seduce customers, but don't really look out for the customer's interest in the way that you would expect. Um, uh, in, in a friendship. Yeah. So if, if you could give us an example of a company, it doesn't have to be the name, but a type of scenario so we can. Oh, sure. Very simple. Um, when you're pricing products, mm -hmm. if you are selling a product to a friend, it is perfectly understandable if you're in business, right? So this is your, your business person and a friend comes to you. Mm -hmm. You need to make a profit. If you can't like sell things at absolute cost to your friends all the time. On the other hand, you're not going to set the price at the highest possible level. You're not going to say, well, to a stranger, I would charge $10. But since you're a friend of mine, I bet you'd pay $15. So I'm going to charge you $15. Right? That would feel mm -hmm. like you're not really a friend. Mm -hmm. uh, companies do that all the time. They assess the sense of commitment that the customer has. And then if they feel like, oh, this customer is, is, is a, you know, has a special relationship with us and therefore they'll pay more. 
yeah, let's see if we can charge them more. Mm -hmm. uh, now, that's that's not always the case. Sometimes it's the opposite. Um, they'll say, well, this is a, a customer who feels that towards us and, and let's charge them less. And I think that fits with the notion of a friendship that, you know, it's reciprocal and you're going out of your way to help the customer and they're going out of their way to help you. And that's how you can build that long-term bond. But lots of companies don't do that. You know, and I think a big part of this is if they were to just let us know somehow, like, for example, this, this is something that, that bothers me. If I'm buying a product and then, and it's, and I consistently buy that product and let's say it's, I'm subscribed to it. So it's an automatic thing. I'm, they know me, I know them. And then all of a sudden the size changes or the amount gets less or whatever, and they don't let me know. Now, if they let me know, hey, rising cost of this and that and the ingredients, I'm okay with it. But if they don't let me know, and all of a sudden I see, let's say something that's supposed to be one size and it's smaller, or I'm, I'm expecting 10 and I get eight, whatever, that annoys me. That is a perfect example of what we were talking about a moment ago. And According to sort of the norms of American business, in a lot of customer relationships, that would be considered ethically okay to say, okay, we're going to change the size. And if we're making it smaller, we're not going to have a huge announcement to everyone. We've made this smaller. You know, it's just you know, the customer's responsible for noticing and, and we're not obligated as a company to tell them. I think that in some situations, while that's not ideal, it's understandable. But again, if you're a company that's saying, no, we want to create this relationship where the customer really feels that we're in a relationship and that they're going to really go out of their way for us and they're going to go to their friends. And instead of us having to pay for advertising all the time, that customer is going to do that advertising for free for us. They're going to go to their friends and, and talk to them about it. Once you started doing that, you've raised the level of ethical obligation that you have to that customer. If you want to be true to that relationship, you have to go the extra mile. And that might mean in that case, as your example, sending them a letter saying, hey, you know, we appreciate your business. Our costs have gone up, you know, due to the supply chain issues and we're having to cut back. And, you know, oftentimes it might be something like, because you've been such a loyal customer to us to like ease the burden, we're going to give you a special little gift, you know, the first time along with this transition, you know, and, and we hope you understand that we need to do this because our costs are going up. Exactly. And something like that, I would stay with them. But if I get the same product and it's less and I didn't hear about it, I probably would look for something else. Right. So because you're, you're a human being and we've evolved to be careful. Yeah. Right. We, that, Humans, this is something that was also another thing that I found interesting. I had kind of assumed when people talked about other animal species, they would say this species mates for life or this species mates for a season, right? Or this species doesn't stay together. They copulate and, you know, fertilize the eggs and then two seconds later, they're gone, mm -hmm. right? Or two seconds later, the female's eating the male's head or something <laughs> along those lines, right? Um I didn't realize how many species have infidelity. Like the norm of the species is that, that they'll mate for a whole season or maybe that they'll mate for life, but actually both the male and the female will sometimes run around on the side mm. uh, a little bit the way people 
can do. Yeah, yeah. And so species in those relationships, and this includes people, since that's a risk, we learn to try and detect that. Mm -hmm. right? And so we have these built-in detectors. And if someone seems to be dishonest to you in other situations, it sets off alarm bells that, you know, maybe they're not, maybe they're one of these creatures that's, that's only pretending to be loyal. You, you know, it's it sort of, you can sum it up with, we don't like to be betrayed. We don't like to be lied to. We don't like to be duped by a person, by a product, by a, a company, by a species, by anything. So I think it's safe to, to say that. What, Dr. Aaron, what do you want to say as we wrap up? What do you oh. want to make sure we all know? What are, all right. So first of all, when you think about the products that you have or the brands that you're dealing with, try and think consciously about the ways they connect you to other people because that is the source of value that you're getting from a lot of these things. And a lot of times people are kind of vaguely aware of that, but they're not really aware of that. So if uh, you become aware of that, then start thinking, is that really working? Because what you really care about are the interpersonal relationships, the products and the brands, 99% of the time, they're really a means to that end. And there are situations which people say to themselves, oh, I, I, I love this brand because it connects me to these people or it helps me in this way. But then you have to ask, is it really working in that regard? Mm -hmm. And so you want, when you're evaluating your products, don't just ask, do they work at a functional level? Ask whether they work at a social level and try to find ways of improving your social relationships because that's really, at the end of the day, what matters. Um, I wrote an article that I'd be happy to share. You can throw it on the website. Uh, it's called, uh, the title is, Nothing Matters More to People Than Other People. Mm. And it's a it's a scientific article, it, but it's a review of all of the sort of science around that. And I when we're when we're working with products or brands, try and keep the priorities straight and set on the people first. So interesting. Where do we go to learn more about you and the wonderful work you do? Okay, so I've got a book that uh, I'd be thrilled if people were interested. Um, it's gotten a, a lot of attention. The title is The Things We Love, How Our Passions Connect Us and Make Us Who We Are. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it anywhere. Uh, my last name is Ahuvia, A-H-U-V-I-A. And as a friend of mine once noted, it would be Huvia to remember <laughs> Ahuvia. So Great uh, just, just type in a Whovia, the things we love, it should pop right up. Um, I was pleased it was it, it was designated best nonfiction on Amazon. Oh, that's amazing. And yeah. we'll have all of your information in the show notes as well. I want to thank you so much for enlightening us all about uh, betrayals of products and companies and uh, just another way we can uh, uh, strengthen our own internal BS meters to see uh, 
what we're what we're seeing in other people and other companies and and so much more. So thank you so much. We appreciate it. Oh, I really appreciate being here. Thanks for having me on. I love how Dr. Aaron explained how our things connect us to people, and it's not the actual product, but the person we think about when we use it that makes us choose it in the first place. Stay in touch with Dr. Aaron by going to thethingswelove.com, and we'll have all of his information in the show notes at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. Our loyalty to a company and brand love is like friendship. There needs to be mutual respect for one another. And when we feel that, we're more willing to invest in that company's products versus a company where we don't feel any connection. We want to feel like they care about us and the relationship, even if we never meet with them or speak with them or anyone from the company. Interesting stuff. Like the episode in the podcast? Share it with a friend. How? From your phone, just take a screenshot of the podcast and share it with someone you know who'd benefit. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.